Good morning, church family. Well, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for the rain. Turn to your other neighbor and say, but not this much. <laughs> well, you know what? I feel like this is the core, the core of the church, okay? You came out on this blustery day, and I'm grateful that you're here because we're going to learn a lot from a man named Simeon. Uh, and uh, next week, we'll learn about Hannah. And, um, and then after that, we're going to learn uh, about the Christ candle. So we are going to have uh, church next Sunday morning at the same time. We're also going to have Sunday school next Sunday. Some people have been asking, are we going to have Sunday school? Yes, and next week. And the answer is yes. Yes, we are going to have Sunday school followed by a worship service. And then, of course, next Sunday night, we have our candlelight Christmas Eve service. And you don't want to miss that. The message title for that service is, What is Your Response? What is your response? Uh, before we dive into the text today, I do want to give you a couple of updates. Uh, first of all, our Faith Forward campaign. We're getting so close to our $500,000 goal. We are uh, at 400, we're over $428,000. So we're almost there. So just dig a little deeper and we'll get there and the Lord will carry us through. Secondly, I want to just give you a heads up that after the turn of the year, I'll be opening up into a new sermon series entitled First Things First, Putting God First in our lives. And so you don't want to miss those sermons uh, during the month of January. And then beginning in February, I will begin a sermon series on Genesis titled Beginnings. Beginnings. And uh, I know a lot of you have probably read through Genesis 1 through 12 uh, many, many times in your life as a Christian, but I will share with you that that particular sermon series is going to uncover God's truth in a whole new way. You will see things in the Genesis narrative that you have never seen before, I promise you. And it is an important subject for us, especially in today's society. So with that, I want to begin this morning's message, uh, which is entitled, uh, What's on Your Bucket List? I want to ask that question. What is on your bucket list? A bucket list, if you don't know, is a list of those experiences that you hope to have before you pass out of this world into the next life. Uh, it may be that some of you in this room have on your bucket list to jump out of an airplane, to do some skydiving. How many of you have that on your bucket list? Anybody? Uh, well, a couple of you. Very good. Maybe you'll die right after that, okay? Um, but that's maybe on your bucket list. Some, some of us want to see some great sights around the world, the Grand Canyon or maybe the Great Wall of China. Maybe we want to go to different places to experience different cultures, like going to the holy city, Jerusalem, or maybe on an African safari. How many of you have ever been on an African safari? Okay, one of you. So many of you, uh, maybe that's on your bucket list. Or maybe it's to learn something new. 
right? You want to learn a new language, perhaps, or learn how to play a musical instrument. So I ask again, what is on your bucket list? Well, this morning we're going to learn how one man had one item on his bucket list. And so if you uh, will turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2, the book of Luke, chapter 2, it's page 993 in your pew Bible. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we hear this amazing testimony of a man who was waiting patiently for the Savior. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Lord, he was, in fact, waiting for Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we open up the word today, that you will help us to see this Jesus in a whole new light. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You know, as we think about this particular passage, we come across a man named Simeon. Now, I will tell you, he's one of the most overlooked characters in the entire Christmas story. In fact, you may not realize or may not remember the last time you've heard a message on this man, Simeon. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know much about him. We don't know much about him. In fact, we could only infer from the text that perhaps he was relatively advanced in years. He was elderly. Uh, he was close to his death, perhaps, but we don't know that for sure. The scripture is silent on his specific age. This is to be uh, contrasted with Anna, the prophetess that we'll speak about next week, whose age is identified. But this man, Simeon, uh, was, you could say he's probably advanced in years. But what we do know about him is that he was a righteous man and a devout man. He was righteous toward men and devout before God. Simeon was moral and virtuous. He was, in fact, a man who himself was 
and had integrity, and he was devout, deeply spiritual, and he was there at the temple when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to dedicate him to the Lord. So Simeon was at that temple, and he had one item on his bucket list. He wanted to see the Messiah. He wanted to see Jesus. And that was his one item on his bucket list. And so we can learn from Simeon and his one bucket list item, the three components of hope. Christmas is a season of hope. And so we can learn this hope from Simeon. The first, of course, is the, where's my advancer? Oh, there we go. Hope is anchored in our anticipation. Uh, that's on your sermon notes there. Hope is anchored in our anticipation. As Anne-Marie mentioned earlier, Simeon was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the word consolation literally means to comfort those who have suffered. It's the opposite uh, of desolation. Desolation means total destruction or total and complete loss. And so, Simeon is waiting patiently for the consolation of Israel. And let's remember, Israel during this time, during the birth of Christ, was at one of its lowest points in its storied history. In fact, it was overrun and ruled by the cruel Roman Empire. And, it, and in Judah, the king of Judah was the vicious King Herod who himself tried to destroy the baby that was born in Bethlehem. And then the people were heavily taxed and highly persecuted, treated like second-class citizens within the Roman Empire. This was not a prosperous time for Israel. This was not a time of peace for Israel. They literally lived within a police state. But Simeon had hope. Simeon's anticipation of the coming Savior would bring consolation to Israel. Simeon would look back to Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied about the consolation of Israel in chapter 52, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. See, Simeon and the nation Israel as a whole were waiting patiently for the consolation of Israel. They longed to see the Messiah. They longed to experience the salvation of God. This was the singular bucket list item for Simeon. There is no other bucket list item that you have on your list that is more important than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. To see him, to receive him, and to know him, to follow him, to obey him, and to proclaim him. You see, Jesus Christ is not just a simple intellectual assent that we make towards a moral teacher. No, Jesus is more than that. Won't you open up your heart this morning if you have never trusted Jesus Christ 
as your personal Savior and Lord. Let him come in today. You realize that Jesus knocks on the door of the hearts of men. But we must open up that door to receive him into our lives. For our salvation of our soul is anchored in the anticipation of Jesus Christ. But there is a second component of hope, and that is this. Hope is cultivated in our cooperation. Not only is hope anchored in anticipation, but it is cultivated in cooperation. Notice there in verses 25 through 27, you see how the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. In fact, three times in these three verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. I recall last week when Dylan was preaching on joy, and he was preaching out of the earlier part of this chapter two of, of Luke, he was talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit during this time, how he had moved on Zechariah, how he had moved on Mary, how he had moved by appearance of angels to Joseph, that he was active, involved, and here we see he is moving in the life of this man, Simeon. It says there uh, that it, it, uh, he, he who was waiting for the consolation of Israel was, and the Holy Spirit was what? Upon him. In verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. And then in verse 27, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And so we see here that Simeon is in fact indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is instructed by the Holy Spirit and he is impelled by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit's guidance, Simeon would have missed the Savior. He would have missed the consolation of Israel. He would have missed Jesus. And so here we have Simeon who is moved by the Spirit to move into the temple to greet this young family. As Christians, if you call yourself a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have the Holy Spirit instructing you. You have the Holy Spirit impelling you. Are you cooperating today with the Holy Spirit? Are you sensitive to his leadership in your life? You know, during this season of hope, take time to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're asking the question, what does that look like? What do I do? How do I cooperate with the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. First, learn the art of meditation. Can I confess to you this morning, this is one of the most difficult disciplines of my life. It's just getting to a place where I am quiet, alone with the Lord, just me and him. I go into the closet, proverbially, put away all the distractions, take the phone and leave it in another room, go to somewhere where I can meditate upon his goodness and his mercy and his grace, where I can pray to him, where I can lift up praises to him for who he is and what he has done in my life. And that I might, in fact, listen 
to him. Have you ever noticed that when we try to get quiet before the Lord, our minds become cluttered with the things of this life? What we have to do, where we have to go, who we have to see. And our to-do list seems to impinge on our quiet time with God. Fight it. Fight against it. Stand up under it. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Be sensitive to his voice. Let him speak to you. Ask him. Ask him. Implore him to lead you, to guide you, to prompt you. To tell you that it's okay to walk across the room and talk with that person. To share your faith with someone down the street. To meet with a co-worker over a cup of coffee. To be merciful to them. To share Christ with those around you. When you do. When you are sensitive to the Spirit, when you cooperate with the Spirit, I promise you, you will worship Jesus more deeply. You will understand and comprehend His Word more completely, and you will, in fact, share His gospel, the good news, more boldly. So not only are we to have our hope anchored in anticipation, but we are also to have it cultivated in our cooperation, but there's a third place a third component of hope, and it is to be promoted in our proclamation. Hope is promoted in our proclamation. You know, upon taking the baby Jesus into his arms, Simeon prays. And Simeon prays these words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He has waited, he has waited, he has waited. And his one bucket list item has come to him and he is able to check it off. He has now seen the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to now move on into the next life. You may now dismiss your servant, he says. And so he sees the Savior and he sees the sword in his prayer and in his addressing to Mary. First, the Savior. Look at what it says there in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. First of all, we have to realize what salvation is. Salvation is to be rescued from the peril of your sin. That's what salvation is, to be rescued from the peril of your sin. And salvation is found in three truths. First, salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. Notice what it says there. I have seen your salvation. He's praying to God the Father. I have seen your salvation. The word Jesus literally means God saves. When the angel told Joseph, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And so we see that Jesus means God saves. We sang Emmanuel, God with us. So not only does he save, but he has come among us. And that's why the first coming of Jesus Christ is celebrated year after year. He is the Savior. He is the one who has rescued those who place their trust in him from the peril of your sin. There's no amount of sin you have ever done in your life that cannot be covered by the blood of Christ. It is shed for your purpose, for you and for me and for all who would place our faith 
in him. Jesus Christ came. He was born to die. He was born to die, to go to the cross. And so salvation has come to us in a person. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. But secondly, salvation is not just a person, but it is prepared. Look at what he says there in verse 21, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, which you, God, have prepared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Whatever you think God has done, will do, and continues to do in your life, it is something that you cannot possibly fathom. It is far greater. He has prepared this salvation from the foundation of the world. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that from the foundation of the world, God chose, he, he decided from the foundation of the world that those who are in Christ will be holy and blameless in his sight. If you're in Christ, then he no longer looks at your sin. He looks at the shed blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, salvation is not just a person. And it's not just something that was prepared by God before the foundation of the world, but salvation is for all people. Salvation is for all people. Look at what it says there. Which you have prepared, verse 20, I mean 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Now, all people means all people. And that means that he goes on to say here, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You can underline that. And the glory of your people, Israel. When God looks down from heaven, he sees three groups of people. He sees Gentiles, he sees Jews, and he sees those who are in Christ from both the Gentiles and the Jews. That's it. If you're in Christ, then you're part of the third group. You are Christian. But the world is why Jesus came. Jesus is not just some Middle Eastern philosopher or moral teacher. No, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And we have to tell the good news about that because he has come to save the lives of all who would place their trust in him. And then we get to the sword. He's not just the Savior. He's the sword. So Simeon proclaimed him to be a sword. Look at what it says there in verses 33 and following. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The implication is that Jesus has come with a sword. You know, the world wants to see Jesus as a great moral teacher. The world wants to acknowledge that perhaps he was a great servant leader, a caring man. We like to hear that he fed the hungry, that he healed the sick, that he taught us how to turn the other cheek. 
But to leave Jesus in that light would be only half correct because Jesus did not come just to heal the sick and to teach great truths. Jesus came with a sword in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You realize that Jesus is saying this to his disciples. And he understands that we, here we are celebrating the Prince of Peace coming into the world. Well, if he's the Prince of Peace, why is he bringing a sword? Because he is Prince of Peace for his finished work and the culmination of all things. And when he returns, he will bring everlasting peace in his second coming. But for now, he has come to sift men's hearts, to divide those who would stumble over the truth of Christ and those who would believe in his name. Simeon proclaimed to Mary and Joseph that, he would re that many would reject Jesus and fall. Notice how it says there, the falling of many. Many will fall at the name of Jesus. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter 8, it prophesied that a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall is in fact Jesus. Jesus is the stone that causes men to stumble because they think of him as just a great moral teacher or they reject him outright as the savior of the world. And yet in Psalm 118, one of the most often quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. That Jesus is the one who has been rejected by the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, and he has become the capstone. And so many will fall. There are neighbors, there are friends, there are family members that you know who are falling over Jesus. They're busy about their own lives. They're busy about being the captain of their own ship. And they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And they are falling over the perfect message of goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness of Jesus. At the end of the day, we're all going to die. And after that, the judgment. The question is, do they really take Jesus at his word? Many will fall. But the good news is, is that many will rise to salvation, it says. Simeon proclaimed that. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, we read these words. Yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise God, I am a child of God. And it is one of these beautiful truths that when you take Jesus on as your Savior, then he alone brings you to the Father and you are adopted. The word adopted is repeated over and over and over in Scripture. We are adopted into his family. Once we trust him, place our faith in him, God spiritually adopts us into his family. And then when he comes again at his second coming, he will then come. Our bodies will be renewed. They will be regenerated. They will be transformed. And then we will be brought to the Father in our physical adoption. Romans calls it the redemption of our bodies. And so allegiance to Jesus means alienation from the world. Jesus has come with the sword. 
And he doesn't ask us to casually accept him or acknowledge him intellectually. He demands full devotion. Does he have dominion over your life? Is Jesus Lord of all? As he commanded, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you realize that nothing is left out there? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, your body? That is the essence of the great commandment that Jesus uttered in his last days. After all, Jesus told his disciples, he who is not with me is against me. Jesus does not allow for us to just take him as an intellectual, moral teacher. No, he's much more than that. He demands our full devotion. But I want us to notice this last part of this passage. The very last sentence, Simeon tells Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know about you, but as I read these words, Simeon is standing there at the temple and he is addressing the mother of Jesus. And it's a time of dedication. Simeon was transporting Mary to the cross. Simeon was telling Mary that this son of yours, he is destined for the falling and rising of many, for the revealing of the true heart condition of mankind. But your heart will be pierced as well. I am convinced that as Mary heard those words, she didn't know how to respond. But 33 years later, she would be sitting at the foot of the cross, having seen that little baby grow up to be a man, beaten, insulted, spat upon, shamed, accused, sent through six kangaroo court trials, and then forced to wear a crown of thorns upon his brow and carry his own cross to his execution. And as he hung on that cross, the nails ripping through his flesh, he saw his mother, her own soul, would have been pierced at that moment. It's time for you and I to put Sunday school Jesus away and realize that Jesus did not come to stay a baby. He came to become a man who would take on the weight of our sin on the cruelest instrument of punishment. Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Make Jesus become real for you this Christmas season. We go through the trappings of Christmas week after week after week, and then it's over. And we do it again the next year. May this year be a year that the word Christmas is truly at the heart of who he was and is and is to come. Jesus Christ is the proclamation of Christmas. So this morning, anchor your hope in anticipation. Cultivate that hope in cooperation and promote that hope in proclamation. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have come and that you didn't just come to be born, to live a good life, to teach a few lessons, to perform a few miracles. But let, Lord, you came to take on the weight of our sin once and for all. We're reminded, Father, as Christ hung on that cross near death, he exclaimed the words, it is finished. Lord, only you are worthy of our worship and our praise. Lord, this Christmas season, may we make sure that we draw close to you in a way that we never have done before. May our one bucket list item be to see Jesus anew, to follow him with full devotion, to be obedient to his teachings, and to proclaim his name to the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand for the singing of this final hymn, Worthy, you are worthy. And when you stand and sing and you uh, you have a chance to respond. If you've never joined our church, now's the day to join. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, today is your day of salvation. You respond during this song. I'll be up front when we sing. Thank you.